0: What is happening, everybody? It is the Wind Up Podcast, and I'm your host, Mike of MTGA Wines, and you are tuning in to our January question and answer episode. Uh, I've got a handful of topics to cover based on folks that have been out to the winery and asked some very good questions, some things that have been submitted uh, through our DMs and online, and we're going to try and tackle as much as we can in the next 40 minutes or so. Uh, A lot of stuff focusing on the production side of things. We're also diving into kind of the more health conscious crowd about low alcohol, zero alcohol wines. Uh, Also some questions about farming and what we're kind of looking for between different farming techniques and practices out in the vineyard. Before we get into all of that, uh, I do want to apologize. We did not have an episode last week. We had a bunch of stuff kind of get in the way. Life happens, as they say. Uh, So we are still planning on releasing a podcast with our first guest coming up in early February. That is still very much in the works. Uh, Typically, we do try and release these episodes every Wednesday. Uh, It is just me doing all the recording, editing, posting, all that good stuff. So anytime uh, the schedule kind of gets derailed like it did last week, uh, yeah, we might miss an episode here or there, but we'll still try and continue to post this weekly uh, this weekly episode as best as we can. Uh, for regular updates of when episodes are posted, uh, please make sure that you subscribe, uh, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can also find uh, these posted on YouTube with the video format of it. Uh, so if you happen to be sitting at a desk, desk with multiple screens in front of you, you can always pull up the video and just watch right along as I dance around here in my man cave uh, in the office here. Uh, You can also uh, check us out on, of course, Instagram, the Book of Face, the social network formerly known as Twitter. Uh, All of these get all these episodes get posted in some way, shape or form. So make sure you're following, subscribing. And I do have my one favor to ask of you, uh, as uh, for those of you that have been following the podcast for some time, if you could please go on whatever, wherever you're getting your podcast. Apple podcast is always huge for this, as well as Spotify is to rate and review. Uh, Just drop in a quick You know, star rating like all of these apps ask us to do, uh, or writing just a quick review uh, would be fantastic. It's a huge help to help kind of broaden the horizon and get this podcast in front of more people. So, that is my shameless self promotion and plug uh, as we get into this episode. So, uh, for all of you that have been listening, uh, thank you all so much. It's very much appreciated. Uh, Very excited to continue doing this into this new year and tackling some of these topics with you. Now, without any further ado, Let's get into some of these topics, shall we? Uh, we have a few that I'm going to kind of combine together because they are a lot of questions kind of surrounding what's going on in the cellar right now. Uh, there have been a couple mentions of this being our slower season in the last couple episodes, uh, also on many of our you know social media posts, and I want to kind of dive into what that means, what we're looking for, and all that good stuff. So I'm going to combine... Uh, these first couple of questions here, but I'll go ahead and lay them out for you. Uh, By the way, if you are interested in a particular topic in the description down below, uh, you can always see the timestamps of where we talk about certain things. You can fast forward, rewind, and really dive into some of the stuff that you're most interested in. So be sure to take a look at that as well. Uh, Also, any resources that we post in terms of topics, uh, external links, things of that nature that are just great references for myself, but also for you, if you're really looking to geek out and get into this world of wine and hospitality a little bit more, those will all be in the description as well. All right. Uh, These first three questions. The first one being, what is the main focus of this slow season in the cellar? Number two, when barrel tasting young wines, what are the main things you're looking for? and number three what is going on in your barrels right now all fantastic questions in terms of you know what are we doing this time of year we all know that harvest is long gone Uh, our wines have been in barrel they're aging you know we're getting ready for maybe our first bottling run of the new year coming up in the next month a month and a half or so Uh, and it is technically our slower season there's not a whole lot going on in terms of like the grand scope and scheme of things. That said, there's still plenty of work to get done, right? So what does that work? What does it mean? What are we doing? So I'll try and kind of give you all just a really solid rundown of our winery operations uh, around the wine industry and kind of what we're looking for as we have these new wines in barrel and going through their aging process. Oh, I feel like I'm talking really fast today. I had to like take a deep breath right there. You ever do that? It's it's the, oh, like you just, you're excited to talk about something and you just like go head first into it. And then you forget to breathe partway through and you're like, oh man, I need to take a breath. So we're going to do that real quick. Oh, that's better. All right, cool. Let's get into it. Now, during the slow season, we'll kind of combine like what's what we're looking for in these young wines right now. Along with you know what's going on in these barrels. Now, very typically, you know what's going on in these barrels is not a lot. I mean, there could be a lot. Hopefully, it's not a lot because you want things to kind of slow down in these wines to be into their aging process at this time. Every once in a while, and this actually happened uh, for quite a few of us last year, is we had some stuck fermentations, things that didn't finish their primary fermentation. Uh, we had some barrels and lots that didn't go through their malactic conversion, uh, which is converting that malic acid into lactic acid to soften up the acid profile in our wines. This happens in all of our red wines, and for some white wines, it's more of an optional thing for them. Uh, And last year, this time of year, there was still a lot of action in the cellar. A lot of these processes were still happening. There were a couple of barrels that we needed to restart the fermentation process with, because they didn't finish. They were still sweet. <laughs> uh, they, were, they were mostly done with their fermentation process, but didn't quite get across the finish line. Uh, there are a few barrels that were still going through that malactic conversion. Realistically, it wasn't until like the end of February, even beginning of March, that we had kind of everything put to bed and done, which is, I'm not gonna say unprecedented. It's a, maybe a little strange, it's kind of a hassle, but it's not really that big of a deal. Uh, there are many many folks i think that are like oh this has to be done on this very strict timeline and for some people that is the way it needs to be done totally get it It, they want it to be a little bit more finite they want it to be a little bit more defined in terms of these processes and when they're when they're done totally fine for us as long as the wine chemistry looks good as long as things are tasting well smelling good we just kind of let them ride and if we notice that something is truly stuck and is having an issue that's when we decide to intervene so this time of year, that's those are kind of the checks and the balances that we're going through. We're making sure that all of our barrels from this last harvest, all of our lots have progressed and are continuing to progress. Really the big issues in my opinion that you encounter in winemaking are when you kind of stop paying attention or you miss something or you let a certain lot like sit a little too long left to its own devices. and. This is. These are when these judgment calls start to happen as a winemaker. You need to know when it's time to step in and be like, hey, we need to fix this and get ahead of this before we have a real issue. Or you have to be comfortable with stepping back and saying, you know what, this wine is still moving along. It tastes good, smells good, chemistry looks good. We're We're not going to mess with it. We're just going to let it do its thing. We are not going to intervene because we do not feel like we have to. So those are things that you know, you have to take into account as a winemaker and you have to def- decide kind of what you're most comfortable with. So when it comes from, you know, this, the standpoint of what's going on in our barrels right now, it's simply, you know, going through them, tasting them, smelling them, making sure they're on the right track. Maybe you're submitting some samples to the local lab to make sure that they are, that the numbers kind of back up what you're tasting, what you're smelling, and that everything is just on the right path. And from there, you can decide, hey, do I need to step in or can I just let these things ride and finish out? Now, in the case of 2022, since I since I mentioned it, uh, the 2022 vintage, so this time last year when those new wines were in the cellar, there were, there, like I said, there's a lot of action. There was still a lot of malactic fermentations going. We still had some primary fermentations going. It was a little wonky and we had to really start hustling to be like, all right, we need to make sure this stuff finishes up because we don't want there to be any issues. So we did start to intervene a lot more last year in terms of uh, for like the malactic conversion. If those weren't really going through, Uh, typically they do on our property. They just kind of naturally happen. We don't really ever have to worry about it, which is really nice. Uh, Again, we can test for that just to double check our work. Uh, But They were kind of just not happening last year. So we needed to, there's, you can do just like a little, uh, the the component, it's actually a little bacteria that does that conversion for you. You can actually add that. It's like adding yeast to get that fermentation process going. uh, And that can help tackle that process for you. Uh, For like the fermentations that were stuck, there you still have these wines that are a little too sweet. They have a decent amount of sugar left in them. That means we have to slowly but surely restart those fermentations using a yeast strain that is very resistant to alcohol because alcohol, you know, in certain quantities will really inhibit those fermentations from happening. So you have to add a certain level of nutrients to make sure that that yeast is healthy and ready to go. And then you have to slowly but surely kind of meter the wine into that to make sure that that fermentation actually takes hold and gets going again. Uh, It's just a lot of work. And that is what we were doing a lot of last year. The great thing about going through all those trials and tribulations of the 2022 vintage and into last winter is that the wines are fantastic. They're tasting amazing now because we put in a bunch of work to make sure they got to where they needed to go. So that's what was going on in the barrels last year. It was just a complete like, it was kind of a war zone. It's like, we gotta do some triage in here to make sure that these wines actually get to where we need them to be to produce the wines that people want to consume. And this is something that I've talked with about, you know, with many of my friends and colleagues. They're like, man, this 2023 vintage this year, what's going on like right now as I'm speaking is like a cakewalk. Everything is just so, like everything's finishing up, everything tastes great, everything smells great. We are just trucking along. We are having the best time right now because there's just a lot less work to do than, you know, when compared to, last year when it was like, Oh my gosh, we got to fix all this stuff and make sure it gets to where we need it to go. Um, it's, it's very strange, but this is real. These are really the ebbs and flows of winemaking every year is going to have its challenges, not just during the harvest, but also as you're making these wines and continuing the aging process in the cellar, this is the kind of stuff we deal with every single year. And it is, it, it can be tough. And I mean, even for me, it was something that's like, oh, my gosh, like I can't even, um, you know, it, it took years for me to be able to understand a lot of this, understand how to deal with it, understand where when I need to be worried versus, you know, when not to be and just relax. Hey, everything will be okay. But, you know, without these challenges and trials and tribulations, you don't get any better at what you do. So that's really the mentality that we take. When we have a year like you know last winter when we're all kind of doing a little bit of triage in the cellar because when we get to a year like this where everything is just amazing and cruising along we appreciate it a lot we really really do so we talked a lot about the 22 vintage what's really going on right now with our 2023s is just like i said they're cruising along they're beautiful uh, we've done some of our lab tests on them just to make sure, again, to kind of double check our work, to make sure that the numbers kind of line up with what we're tasting, what we're smelling. And they're in a beautiful spot. The next big order of business is going to be our rackings, uh, actually starting this weekend in just a couple of days. We are going to be racking all of our 2023s to make sure that we're removing any heavy sediment, uh, the heavy lees that builds up at the bottom of the barrels, those are all the old uh, yeast cells bits and pieces of grape skins and seeds and things uh, just sediment that builds up throughout that this first few months of the winemaking process we want to get that out of there uh, for us in particular some folks will leave it in there as long as it's tasting good totally a subjective stylistic thing uh, that you can consider uh, but for us we want to get it out of there so we're going to be doing that over the next weekend probably into next week as well and that'll be kind of the big thing that kind of the moving and shaking and after that's done Our wines are basically lined up to really continue their aging process for the next like eight months, where there's probably not going to be a lot of movement between now and August. Uh, We'll come back through and taste them every once in a while. If we need to rack something again, based on how it's tasting, how it's smelling, uh, based on any number of factors, we'll be like, all right, we'll go ahead and pull these barrels, take care of that, or maybe we'll do all of them. This is where it becomes a little bit more subjective for us, and we just try and act based on what the wine needs. So What we're doing right now is, and this is really the main focus of the slow season, is just really lining up the rest of the year so that we can knock it down. That when it comes time for bottling runs, we have our our first bottling runs at the beginning of March. Our second one's in August, and then harvest is right after that. Uh, We're going to be on the road a lot this springtime. We have a lot of other things going on outside of the cellar. So we want to make sure that everything in that cave is lined up ready to go because we just want peace of mind. We just want it to be doing its thing. And that is the main focus for this slow season is making sure that if everything is off and on the right track, that it stays on it. And if it's not, that we can get it there, which is totally possible. It just might take a little bit of work. Like we were talking about for these 2022 wines that are now tasting fantastic. But last year at this point, they were just, they were something else to deal with. Now, as I'm going through these barrels, and tasting them, which is something that we did uh, two weeks ago, maybe tasted through everything. We did a little bit more of that last week. Actually, uh, it was. It's interesting because I'm trying to get a, a kind of a really great framework about what this new vintage has to offer, and you know we're looking into a crystal ball that is you know still 18 months away from coming to fruition. There's a lot of these wines that aren't going to be bottled until August of uh, 2025. It's going to be a while until these wines are ready to rock and roll. So what we're really looking for and the main thing I'm looking for right now are, are there any issues? Whenever I'm going through a barrel tasting, the first thing I'm thinking of, it's not how good the wine is, it's not the fruit characteristics, it's not the tannins, it's are there any problems that need to be addressed. That is my A number one thing. In fact, any time I open a bottle of wine, that is the first thing I'm looking for is, are there any issues? Because if there are, I want to know if I can identify them and fix them. And if I can't, then, you know, we got to figure out next steps from there. Uh, Luckily enough, I mean, if you're again, if you're remotely good at what you do as a winemaker and you're paying attention to the wines you have in your cellar, typically there are very few major issues that you cannot remedy. It's a little different once a wine is bottled up, you know. Issues can happen when things get bottled uh, and you know come down the pipeline. We can talk about that in another episode. Actually, there's a big learning experience that I went through a couple of years ago with something like that. Uh, but typically right now, it's just check, double checking your work. It's simply making sure that the judgment calls you made during harvest, that your barrel selections, the lots that you're setting aside for certain wines are going the way they wanna go. Even right now in my little like black moleskin notebook that I have, and I know a lot of folks will do this. They have a notebook or whether or they're doing it on an iPad or whatever. They are just keeping notes on where these lots are, how they're tasting, you know, which barrels they kind of want to push which direction. Like, hey, maybe this one's better for our red blend. This one's a little better for our Cabernet. This is a little better for Merlot. This is a little bit better for this reserve wine, whatever. It's This is where we kind of do preliminary checks of like, where are these barrels going? What do we want to cut from the herd to bottle on its own or blend into a special wine, whatever the case may be. We know full well that it's going to be months before we have to make that final call, but it makes our life a lot easier if we have it somewhat organized right now because we can say, hey, this is a wine that is going to age for 30 months in barrel. Are these barrels that we're setting aside for that still at that level or do we have to make a cut somewhere? Something that I'll be doing actually uh, this next week with a few wines uh, that are in the cellar. Uh, There's stuff that's like, hey, we're bottling this in a month is this ready to rock and roll, or do we need to make some final tweaks and kind of polish this wine a little bit through blending, uh, through filtering maybe, to make sure that it is where it needs to be. You know, there's a lot of of things that we are, that we're looking for, even when we're barrel tasting this early on in the process. We wanna make sure that, again, things are just lined up to knock it down. That way, as we get closer and closer to bottling and we get closer to harvest, when our focus is gonna be pull in another direction that we know these wines that we've been working on are solid and we don't have to worry about them so that it's that's a very long-winded answer for those first few questions uh, but hopefully really give you some insight into the things that we're considering some of the challenges that we have this time of year um, and you know what kind of a tough vintage like 2022 you know, how that impacts us during this winter season, the extra work we have to do versus a year like 2023, where like, all right, well, cool. I guess I'll sit here, have my cup of coffee and I'll see the seller this weekend. We'll get some work done. Hmm. All right. So let's dive into the next topic, shall we? And actually, this is a pretty good transition. Uh, Because we talked a little bit about bottling and kind of final polishing on certain wines and things of that nature. And I'll take you through a bit of my thought process on this next question. Um, It's been a while since I've worked for other folks. uh, So I can, you know, kind of give you an idea of what goes on in other cellars. But I'm not going to try and, you know, assume that I know exactly what's happening here. But I can at least, you know, explain it to the best of my ability in terms of, you know, how we make our wines. Uh, Question number four. Uh, before bottling how late can you make adjustments to a wine now this is actually something i've made adjustments to a wine literally the night before bottling uh so we're talking like 12 hours right i don't recommend doing that it's a lot nicer and you have a lot more peace of mind when all your wines are like in tank or in barrel and like just ready to go that way because bottling is such a hassle as it is uh some of you probably listen to my you know, bottling episode from last year. It is just, oh, there's so many moving parts. And no matter how good you are at planning and logistics, it's still just a nightmare. Every single time, bottling is just a hot mess. So you really want to be prepared leading up into a bottling run to make sure that your wine is just ready to go. So for this purpose, I'm going to ignore like the glass bottles, your labels, your corks, kind of all the other like dry goods that aren't wine. Just the other stuff we need to execute that bottling run. For the wine itself, this is typically typically my thought process. Number one, we've already actually, for our March bottling run, this is a great time to talk about this because this is what I'm doing right now as we're planning for our first bottling run of the year. And I would say that many, many winemakers kind of follow the same rough schedule. Some might start a little bit ahead of time. Some might push it back a little further, a little closer to bottling. But this is typically kind of the general, you know, roll or modus operandi or what insert buzzword of operations here on how we get ready for a bottling run. So typically once we're one month away from bottling run, I'm probably sitting down and doing a pretty intense blending session. I'm going to sit down, I'm going to pull samples from every barrel uh, from the lots that we've decided to bottle that are meant to go into that. In this case, we have eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 different lots that we're working with. That sounds right. might be a little more than that, but let's just stick with lucky number 13 for now. So we have 13 different lots that we're working with. I'll sit down in the cellar with a couple of beakers, some graduated cylinders. I'll taste through all those lots to kind of get a good idea for where they're at and what I'm liking about them. And from there, I'll start blending. I'll decide, all right, let's do... And I typically start with recreating last year's blend. I have that as kind of the control group to make sure that we are, you know, Making sure our wines are consistent year in and year out. They're not going to be identical, but they're at least going to be consistent. But I need that sounding board to make sure I'm on the right path for sure. So I'll recreate that and I'll decide, all right, this blend, you know, needs a little of this, a little of that, whatever it is, whether maybe the structure's a little too intense, maybe the fruit characteristics don't pop enough, maybe the aromas don't jump out of the glass the right way, maybe the oak program's a little too heavy or a little too soft depending on what we're trying to do. And that's when I start tinkering. So we've tasted through all those individual lots on their own. I know, all right, this one's the oakier one. This one's the more intense one. This one's the fruitier one, so on and so forth. I know kind of where those break down. And then based on kind of what that first initial blend is like, I'm like, okay, this was in essence, you know, this one really oaky barrel is one, this really structured barrel is this really fruity barrel. And out of those three, let's go ahead. It was a little too oaky. So let's back that one off a little bit and really focus on the other two as like the base wine. So you just reduce the volume here and there, or you increase it if you need a little bit more of that characteristic. And this is what I'm relying on that little black moleskin notebook that I mentioned is I've gone through, I've made all my notes on these lots. So I can say, all right, this wine needs a little bit of X or a little bit of Y or a little bit of Z. And I can pull from my spice rack of different wines that I have in the cellar that are set aside for the bottling one and say, all right, this is going to be what we're going to be using for these wines specifically, and then I can adjust the volumes therein. Now, I would love, let's say we had, as a hypothetical, let's say we have, you know, six barrels of Merlot in the cellar. We're bottling our Napa Valley Merlot. It's 100% Merlot. Let's just use all six. Pile them in. Use 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 it all. Sometimes that doesn't work. Actually, a lot of times it doesn't work because there's gonna be a certain barrel in there that maybe is just a little too intense or maybe a little too fruity and it affects the final blend just a little too much. And it's not nearly as consistent and relatable to the prior vintage. So there's something you gotta pull back. You know, we those are definitely blends that I try to do every year just kind of for fun. It's like, hey, if this tastes really, really good using just everything that we have in the cellar, awesome, let's go for it. But that is very much a rough draft it's kind of that shot across about like, all right, is this really good? If yes, then how can we make it better by backing something off or adding something to it in terms of the other lots that we have going on? Uh, and that's where we tinker. You know, we are sitting there with our, you know, adding a, a little bit of volume here, taking it out there and just trying to really dial it in. And then keep in mind, this is one month before we actually bottle this wine. And from there, you know, it's it's a few hours. It's, it's basically a full day of me sitting in there just tasting, 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 tasting and figuring out exactly where we want these wines to be. At that point, uh, we'll bring home uh, some samples. I'll let the HBIC herself taste through them to make sure that she approves. Always good to have a second opinion or have someone just kind of, you know, make sure that you're on the right track because it can't, this has happened to me plenty of times where I've sat in a blending session. I thought I've created something really, really great. I take it home and someone else tries it and like, Ooh, it's got this like edge right here that maybe I didn't even notice, you know, as, as good as I like to think I am in this industry, there are some you still kind of can get lost and not see the forest through the trees every once in a while. So it is always nice to have someone else kind of double check your work and you know i'll bring home a handful of blends for each wine and be like all right do you like abc or of this wine or how about def of this wine and that way we can make, you know really really dial in exactly what we're doing so we do all that about a month ahead of time that way when we get closer to the bottling run hopefully there's a lot less that we need to do to prepare those wines for bottling now about one week away from bottling, we do a couple of things. So three more weeks have gone by, we've got about seven days before our bottling run comes in is number one, I go back into the cellar and I recreate our favorite blend that we chose from earlier that month. And I say, all right, is this still the one? Or is there something that now, after these three weeks, for some reason, just isn't hitting me the right way. So I have a little bit of time, a little bit of a buffer to, you know, adjust that blend as I see fit. And that's actually something that happened with our Cabernet uh, last August, is that you know, as much as we wanted to make 100% Cabernet, it was like, that's just not working. You know, it tasted really, really good, but it just was kind of missing something. And we ended up using about 2.5% Merlot, not a lot, like just a little bit, to give it just that nice little X factor and round it out a little bit. So I give myself that like week of leeway to say, all right, let's taste through everything again. If it tastes great, we're going to start bringing all this wine up into tank and we're going to start getting those blends finalized. That way they're ready for bottling. So that happens about a week, maybe five days ahead of time. For some of our white wines, there are a couple of adjustments that we make happen like right before bottling, typically within like a two or three day window. Um, and that it's simply filtering. Uh, The all of our white wines do not go through that malactic conversion. Uh, So what we do is filter them to make sure that that doesn't happen in bottle, Uh, we would hate to, you know, bottle up a wine and have it start a little kind of fermentation process. As it gets to your door, that's not exactly what we want to have happen. Uh, This is also when, you know, right before bottling, we'll adjust the sulfite level. Uh, Typically, this is a very, very small adjustment. Uh, All of our wines are adjusted to uh, about 30 parts per million. That's one milliliter per gallon, I think. I might be wrong. I always fuck up the math on this. This is why I have a notebook. College chemistry was not my strong suit. Uh, I have a whole notebook full of conversions, how to do things, and operations. Uh, But it's really... A low dose, just to make sure that the wine is preserved, stable, and not going to have any issues in the near future. Uh, we really want to make sure that it's very, very stable. And as many of you know, I've talked a whole lot about sulfites on this show already, uh, but they are the least of your worries when it comes to some of the additives and things uh, in wine and winemaking, in my professional opinion. Uh, so, you know, leading into you know a day before, there are a couple more. Processes that our wines will go through between like filtering, maybe a sulfite adjustment, but outside of that, the wines are ready to rock and roll. So that way, the next morning when the bottling truck shows up or they're ready to get going, we can just pump wine right into the bottling truck. It goes right into the bottle, gets labeled, corked, foiled, and gets stacked on a pallet so it's ready to go. Uh, it's really just those last couple adjustments that we use. Uh, to make sure that the wines are stable and safe for you to consume and not going to spoil. We don't want them going bad. So that's a big part of kind of the last couple of things the last couple adjustments. Um, There are plenty of other things you can do. Uh, We've talked a lot about the additives, the extracts, the things that you can add to a wine to quote unquote enhance it. Typically that's all done ahead of bottling, of course. You don't wanna do it too close to it necessarily in terms of some of the fining that's being done. You wanna make sure that you give yourself enough runway to get all that work done. Uh, So depending on your organization, your processes, and what you deem fit for your wine, you'll start working on some of that stuff a little sooner, maybe a little later, Uh, but very typically for us, it's like, hey, we got, you know, we're a month out. We got to finalize these blends. We got to make sure that we get things filtered and then get things bottled. Uh, Although when it comes to our red wines, like we don't do any, we do what we call as a bug catcher. Uh, We don't do any heavy filtering. Uh, Those wines are stable. They're ready to rock and roll. Um, I, I do think that filtering can take out more things than just the stuff that you want to take out. They don't really discriminate. So if the wine is stable and solid, if you don't have to filter, don't. Just don't. Uh, it's a little different if you're a little bit of a bigger brand, you're more commercial and you have your wine and restaurants and retail shops all around the world. You probably wanna make sure those things are shelf stable, uh, which requires a little bit more work in terms of like filtering and finding and things every once in a while. But them is the ropes. You kinda gotta pick your pick your battles when it comes to you know your pre-bottling operations. Uh, so yeah, there, there's, I mean, you can make adjustments to your wine I mean, the day before in some situations, depending on what you're trying to do. Uh, but very typically, a lot of that heavy lifting is done well before that because you need that wine to be solid right when it gets to the line. You can't be like waiting for things to settle out. Um, I've seen all kinds of issues when it comes to bottling and people not having the wine prepared the way that it should have been. Eh, it, bottling's hard enough already and dealing with those messes, just absolutely no fun. All right. We're going to switch gears a little bit. And this is a great question. This is actually something some colleagues and I were talking about over the weekend. We were watching uh, the NFC, AFC Championship Games on Sunday, and we got on the on this topic in particular, which is where this question kind of came from. Uh, but it's something that we've also been asked in the cellar uh, out at the winery. And the question is, question number five, for the health conscious crowd, what are your thoughts on low alcohol or zero alcohol wines? What are the things that we should look out for? Now, I'll be honest here in that I have never actually tried a zero alcohol wine. I have seen the commercials for them, uh, both, you know, the ads on Instagram. Uh, There's been a couple, I think, on the TV, in the picture box there. Um, I do know of a few companies that really try and jump on the low alcohol kind of trend, which I actually appreciate personally. Um, And realistically, this, this was, I guess I'll kind of preface this with the conversation we were having, is that... You know, younger generations now are typically drinking less uh, just on average. Uh, They're also smaller generations compared to the baby boomers that, uh, you know, obviously made up a vast, a big segment of our population. Uh, So you have less people coming into kind of a drinking age and you have less of them drinking alcohol in particular. Uh, There's also a lot more focus. And I think this is really, you know, ties into like the post-COVID world, people trying to take better care of themselves Uh, You know, whether it's through fitness or diet or whatever the case may be, you have folks that are kind of ratcheting back, you know, maybe the volume of alcohol, how they're drinking, how often they're consuming alcohol, Um, and also alcohol percentage. Like maybe they're drinking more light beer versus those double IPAs that can get up to seven or eight percent. Or maybe they're looking for lower alcohol wines that are around 11 or 12 percent versus 14 to 15 percent or more. Um, This is a conversation that within the industry, uh, is happening a lot. And we're trying to figure out kind of, we're, we're getting our sea legs on kind of what's going to happen next with this. So this is a great question to ask. Um, in terms of low alcohol wines, we'll start there, is that there's not like a, and this is kind of my problem with, with some of these buzzwords, whether it's low alcohol or clean wine or natural wine. None of those buzz terms actually mean anything there's no definition behind them Uh, for those of you that didn't watch or listen to uh, my episode on natural wines please go back and check it out you get to hear me talk about why I think natural wine is stupid a little bit tongue-in-cheek in in saying that but it still kind of is because there's no actual definition and everyone has kind of their own idea of what it should be believe me like it's it's just absolutely bonkers. There's no consistency and it's very frustrating. Now, uh, the same thing goes for low alcohol. I mean typically, you know, a Napa red wine this day and age is probably averaging about 14 and a half or 15% alcohol. So what qualifies a Napa Cabernet as being low alcohol? Is it 14%? Is it 13 and a half? Is it somewhere in between? Is it down to 11? Is that technically a low alcohol wine? Like th- there's there's not really, I mean maybe just less alcohol is what people are looking for. Um, but for the health conscious crowd, uh, you know, if you are looking to consume lower alcohol wines, it's going to be tough to find in a place like Napa because the, the trend has definitely been to go big or go home, make these really intense, the long hang time wines that uh, have a higher alcohol percentage to them than what has been kind of typical in history, uh, because of our climate, because of what we can do, because of the science that now backs us up, and we understand you know a lot more about winemaking than we did you know a hundred years ago. So it's a very different vibe now. Um, for zero alcohol wines, I've just never tried any. I've had a number of people tell me they taste like garbage. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I kind of assume it's kind of like non-alcoholic beer, like it kind of tastes like it, but you're kind of just drinking malty or yeast, you know, hoppy water that's fizzy. Um, I don't know. It's, that's something that I'm curious about. Um, I know about the process of removing alcohol from wine, but it also removes a lot of other stuff. So my first thought when it comes to zero alcohol wines, is like, okay, you're removing the alcohol and all this other stuff, what are you adding back to it to make it taste good? Um, I almost equate it to like the Impossible Burger. It's like, okay, you're removing the meat, but now you're adding all this junk back into this thing that is heavily, heavily processed. Is that actually better for you? I like, I don't know. I, my gut reaction is no, I don't think so. Uh, but you know, I'm, I have not uh, done a scientific study or anything on it. So don't t- don't take my word for it. Do your research, I suppose. Now, if you are trying to be more health conscious, um, you know, it depends on what camp you're in. Obviously I work and live and make a living in the alcohol industry, so I'm gonna be biased. And I've been consuming wine since I was a little kid. And I think it just has to be, you know, what you're comfortable with. Now, I have friends like this, we all have friends like this, where if they have one glass of wine, they're having six. And the moderation of consumption goes out the window really, really fast. And if that's your relationship with a substance, whatever that may be, you might have to cut it out wholesale or be really, really diligent in changing kind of your mentality on shoot i have this issue you know talking about you know watching the football games you know it's easy for me to have a beer and you're just sitting chatting carrying on you're like oh this beer's empty and you go, go grab another one and then you're like oh this beer's empty i'll go grab another one and all of a sudden you've you know within a half you've had three or four and you're like oh okay i'm feeling it a little bit and you just you're just chatting carrying on you're not like actively keeping track necessarily but then you start to feel that buzz kick and you're like oh wow what? i've been getting after it a little more than i thought i was um so, you know, if you're trying to be a little bit more health conscious, I mean, maybe it's just understanding your relationship with, with alcohol and what you what you feel like. If you're hungover on a regular basis, that's not a good thing, right? You know, it's it's okay to enjoy wine in moderation and have a glass. Um, it can be tough because if you're opening a 750, you know, a full bottle of wine, you don't want it to go bad. You don't want to dump three quarters of it or half of it down the drain if you have a couple glasses over a couple of nights. Uh, It's where something like the Corvin comes in handy, where you're, you know, removing some wine and kind of metering it out over the course of a week or two or three, rather than tapping into a, excuse me, full bottle. Uh, That can be a really great device. They're a little expensive, but worth it if you're trying to really watch what you're consuming. Um... I mean, as far as the things you should look for, though, when it comes to being health conscious, I mean, I think the number one thing is just knowing the producer, you know, i I talk a lot of trash about things that are heavily processed, overly produced with how, especially with a lot of sugar in them. Um, sugar is kind of the bane of a lot of our existences, I think, and it needs to be something that we all are very conscience, con- conscientious, conscious of Did I say that. Am I saying that I'm conscious of conscious of right? That's how you say that conscious of sugar is something that you should be conscious of in terms of your intake and wines, typically ones that are produced at a large scale have probably more sugar in them than you would ever imagine. Uh, You know, the low calorie wines that are advertised out there typically have two grams of sugar per serving, which means you got at least eight, maybe 10 grams of sugar per bottle in there. Um, You know, what does that mean? you know, for you and, and your health and, and everything. Um, I don't know. This is a big, I don't know. This is a big issue that the wine industry is going to have to kind of deal with as time goes on. I mean, it's something that I think for us, you know, we try and produce wines that are a little bit more typical of Napa that are in that, you know, 14% alcohol range, maybe up to 15% in some years. We also have a few wines that are, you know, 14% and below. You know, we have a couple of wines that are in the 11% range. Uh, under the Blair Payton label, you know, that the HBIC is putting together. So we're trying to create kind of options for folks uh, because, you know, I don't think, you know, and some of it's just like, hey, I want to be able to crush a beautiful bottle of rosé, you know, with some friends and not have to worry about it being, you know, 14% alcohol and getting a little too buzzed by the pool. Uh, We just want something kind of nice and refreshing to take the edge off. I don't know. It's, this is going to be an interesting question. I don't know if I'm going to even be able to answer it uh, all that well. Um, you know if you find a low alcohol wine whatever that means to you because again there's no legal definition to it but maybe it's that sub 14 range or maybe below 13 and you love it more power to you Um, If you happen to find a zero alcohol wine, something that's alcohol free, that tastes really, really well, more power to you. Um, You know, at this stage, it's there's not a one size fits all when it comes to health and wellness. Like you're going to have to do what works best for you and not really let anyone tell you different. All of our bodies and then, you know, whether we're deficient in certain nutrients or over consuming on certain things, it's going to be completely different from one person to the next. So this is maybe a little too subjective for me to just say, hey, like this is what you should be looking out for. Uh, But the one thing I can say, you know, honestly, is that if you're eating on a regular basis, things that are heavily, heavily processed with a lot of sugar in them, that's probably those two things are probably pretty bad. And you should probably start to wean yourself off that the addiction to sugar is no joke. Uh, Believe me, been there worked through it. This is why I don't drink soda at all. It's why I don't eat candy bars hardly at all. I do make an exception around Halloween because damn it, I do love a Kit Kat. Um, You know, and then every once in a while, I'll have like a bag of hot Cheetos or something. But I try to avoid as much stuff. I, it's not a daily thing. It's not even a weekly thing. Maybe it's a once a, once a month or every other month kind of thing. Because I knew, know full well that for me, I feel gross after consuming those things. There are certain wines that I avoid. Because I'm like, I know that this wine does not make me feel good after consuming it. Uh, that, that's even something that I consider when it comes to buying wine and consuming wine. If there's if someone has opened up a certain bottle of wine at their house or they brought it over to our place, I won't touch it. I'll stick to having a Coors Banquet beer if I have to uh, because I know that that wine's gonna make me feel terrible You know, if I have even a glass or two of it. Um, so you have to be kind of in tune. So for the health-conscious crowd, I think you all are already on that track. You kind of have a really great understanding of what affects your body. And I think for everybody, this is something that we should be doing just whether it's wine whether it's what you're eating uh, on a regular basis the, the the treats that we give ourselves at a couple like I had three salted caramels last night from Trader Joe's and they're so good oh they're so good did I feel great afterwards Mm-mm. I could feel the heart racing a little bit more couldn't quite you know I actually fell asleep pretty quickly surprisingly enough uh, but typically if that's the case yeah, I, yeah I'm just gonna be up for another hour or so as this sugar is like just pulsing through My body, And I know that's how I feel if I eat a bunch of sweets like right before bed, Um, which is crazy because I'll easily have a cup of coffee before I go to sleep and just be out. Uh, But sugar, oh, that does for me, no doubt. Um, I don't know if that answer helped at all. Um, This is something that I think we'll probably try and do a little bit more of a intense, in-depth episode on. I'm going to do some research. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to buy some zero-alcohol wines, and shoot, I'll sit here and review them. Why not? We'll just do a zero-alcohol chat. We'll talk about the process, how that happens, um, and maybe dive into a little bit more of the health conscious crowd scene and see what you all think. I don't know. That's a good idea for an episode. Uh, There's one more question that I did not get to in regards to the farming side of things that I mentioned. I will save that uh, for next time. It is actually a question regarding, you know, sustainable versus conventional versus biodynamic and organic farming. Uh, realistically, I could probably do a full episode on all those things. And we really haven't talked, I mean, outside of kind of the broad scope vibe of a growing season, we haven't gotten down to like the nitty gritty of specific growing practices. So maybe we do a full episode on some uh, farming, especially as the season gets going in the next few weeks. Uh, That could be kind of fun as well. So uh, we'll do, yeah, we'll do all those things. That sounds good. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the questions. Um, this was a lot of fun I this really obviously focused on more of the production side of things for basically half the episode uh, And and you know from you know what's going on in the seller right now to what happens before bottling uh, This this health conscious thing is something that I find fascinating and I'm very curious to see kind of man if I had a crystal ball for this I'd be so happy because it'd be it'd Give me a lot of peace of mind, but it is something that we are as an industry kind of working towards uh, trying to figure out what you guys want from us in terms of the wines that we're producing. Uh, and there's a lot to be done. And unfortunately, a lot of it is not super cost effective, especially for small producers, which means we got to wait for the big guys to really dive into it head first. Uh, that way they can hopefully make it a little bit more affordable for us to knock out. Um, there's probably some exceptions to that here and there with certain types of equipment and processes, but, uh, typically that's the way things go is you have to have a bunch of early adopters really dive in and jump in head first. That way the bulk of the market can follow it, uh, as a trend. So, uh, I'm very curious to see how that shakes out. But yeah, um, be sure to check out my episode on natural wine. Uh, we posted it up last spring, I think it was. Um, so you might have to scroll back on YouTube a little ways or through our uh, kind of catalog of episodes, uh, but worth a shot if you haven't checked it out just yet. Well, it we went a little long today, but well worth it. Those are some amazing questions. Really, really solid. Um, and we're definitely going to make a couple of episodes out of this like, you know, health conscious you know, low alcohol, zero alcohol wine thing, and also uh, between the farming side of things. We're gonna get into both of those in a little bit more detail this year, absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, uh, please go out and rate and review the podcast if you can, I hugely appreciate it. Uh, keep sharing it with your friends, family, any other winos that you may know. Uh, be sure any questions or topics that you wanna have covered, you can slide into our DMs at Wines on any of our social networks, um, or leave them in the comments section of our posts uh, or submit any ideas uh, through our website, just go to mtgawines.com, scroll down to the bottom. There's a little form you can fill out and submit stuff through there as well. So have an amazing rest of the week and we will catch you next time.